get fired up. Oh yeah! Performance, Performance enhancing, enhancing audio. audio. This is the State of Combat Podcast with Brian Campbell. Oh yeah, the world of mixed martial arts heating up. You better believe the SOC. Deep in your ear hole this week, ready to break it down. The hangover effect from all things D-Stay, Steep Pay 3. We got retirements. We got people changing divisions. We got people making comebacks. A lot to look at in both the futures of the UFC light heavyweight and heavyweight divisions following the fallout of UFC 252. We're also going to look ahead to a fun weekend of fights. We got Pedro Munoz, Frankie Edgar headlining some UFC action. Got a little Bellator bingo going on this Friday as well with Darth Bader himself. Okay, understand who we're talking about here. Guess what? I'm not Ryan Bader. My word. I'm not Ryan Bader. Yeah, that's not my co-host, Ryan Bader. Uh, they said, BC, you can pick anybody in the world to co-host this State of Combat Mixed Martial Arts podcast with. If I had to pick someone, I would have picked Rashad. That's what that I'm message? talking about right there. Let me bring in that man, okay? The only man who would pour some sugar on me in the name of love, and I would allow it. He is a Hall of Famer, an earthquake survivor. He is Sugar Rashad Evans, my man. I'm fired up. I'm ready. I'm over-caffeinated. How you doing? I'm great, BC. Lovely introduction, bro. It gets better and better every time. Great weekend in the fights, man. I'm excited to break it down. Yeah, lots to get into in the fallout there of what of what's happening here in the world of mixed martial arts. As you know, the SOC always has you covered before, during, after. So continue to tell your friends, uh, pay it forward with that five-star review. All that good stuff. Uh, Rashad, before we get into the meat here of all things heavyweight eye pokes, uh, how was your weekend, your life, the day in the life of a bearded Rashad? What's happening, man? It's good, man. Uh, getting back into the gym, training a little bit. Uh, Usman's back in town, so... We've been getting some work in, and, you know, he's picking training back up, so it's been pretty fun. Uh, I love the gym. I don't know what it's going to amount to, BC, but right now I'm in there like I'm training for a fight, so I don't know. It's about a year later since we were hinting at a little comeback fight. <laughs> <laughs> right? uh, Leota Machida, you might be next, my friend. That's the fight I want for Rashad. I know, I know. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see if something happens. But you know what, BC? I'm totally content to just sit here with you, and we just talk a good fight. You know what I'm saying? I'm with, I'm with just talking a good fight, too. So please understand who you are. No, do you know who the f- I am? Yes, yes. Sugar Rashad Evans. He'll still whoop that ass, whether it's on my video game against my son or in real life, indeed. Uh, Rashad, people have come here to hear your takes on all things Stipe, Say to the Thrizze, Stipe Miocic, crown him. He is the greatest heavyweight champion in UFC history. A unanimous decision across the board. Three rounds to two on one sco- scorecard. Four rounds to one on the other two scorecards. Yes, there was an eye poke. What's your biggest takeaway, though, on Stipe uh, defying our predictions, screwing up a lot of people's parlay bets this past weekend, and making it happen? Well, I, th- I think, you know, the, the biggest thing that I took away from that fight with Stipe was um, – you know, his ability to control the position from a position I didn't think that he was going to control it from, which was from the cage, the clinch position. He won that fight on the cage. I think for the most part, when he had DC against the, on the cage and he was, you know, making it so DC had a hard time getting off or just making DC work a lot, it took away from DC's gas tank where he was able to uh, get something going in the center of the octagon. And another thing DC got away from that really helped him out in the first fight was 
during the first fight, he did a really good job of kicking a lower leg kick, and then he followed that up with a jab, a pump jab. Sometimes it was 2-3, but what he was looking for was a response from Stipe. When Stipe came with the right hand calling, that's when DC took that left hand that was jabbed, and then went, uh, went around the back of Stipe's neck for that collar tie. From that collar tie, that's when DC was in the phone booth, and that's where he was punching effectively. We did see him do signs of that, in this fight, but it wasn't on a consistent basis, and he wasn't beating Stipe to the punch. Stipe was just out moving him and just really, for the most part, controlling every situation that, that they encountered, whether it was a stand-up. Uh, DC did get him down, but when Stipe was able to stand up, I think that showed DC that Stipe, 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 Stipe was a lot stronger than DC planned, and I think that was one of the things that DC had a hard time uh, making an adjustment to was just the overall strength of D, uh, Stipe. Yeah, DC looked out of options. I was yelling Mitrione style, kick him in the Stipe already. All right, do something. Um, look, let me establish some things because I became so, uh, an accidental DC super fan and apparently a Stipe hater. Uh, this is all Stipe, okay? He didn't, he didn't, uh, this wasn't DC losing this fight, right? This was Stipe winning it. Shouts to the greatest heavyweight we've seen. Look, he's 37 and he was in even better shape than we've ever seen him. He had five-round stamina. He made the adjustments. He landed stiff blows. And on top of that, Rashad, he took some hellacious shots and kept coming. So what I'm going to do now is try to pick out what DC didn't do. But I'm not going to do it from the standpoint of, hey, Daniel, you were the better fighter. You should have won this. And you blew it. I think that this was really Stipe in every category shutting the door. Because, look, DC landed what I thought were similar big punches that he landed in both of the first two fights. I just didn't see Stipe going anywhere this time around. So Rashad, if I believe something I'm about to say, and I believe it, here's the, here's the statement. So channel this statement. Okay. DC didn't look like he necessarily wanted to be in there even before the eye poke. Okay. For the second half of that fight. And I'm not saying that from, Oh, he was too old fight him in his prime. I'm not saying that I'm saying Stipe, I think closed pretty much all the potential avenues of victory that DC was seeing for himself. And then the frustration set on. And once I saw him land some pretty good go home Sunday punches and Stipe kept coming, I'm wondering if inside of Daniel, he was like, I'm not sure if I can win this fight because I saw some of that inward seem to come out of him and the body language. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe this is just a 41 year old warrior on his last stand. And he also did get poked in the eye. We'll get in that in a second. But I, I, all I can say here is every time I thought this is now DC's time, Stipe was the better man in those moments. Shout out to the fireman, the paramedic, the king of the UFC's heavyweight division. Yeah, I agree. You know, I agree to a lot what you're saying. You know, I think a big uh, part of that was, um, you know, making his final stand and making going into that fight with this being what it was. You know, when you have this much emotional fire going into the fight, this being the last one, what it meant all those memories that come to you when you make that walk and all of that, that all of just the whole, um, the whole spectacle of it all. And this being the last and final one, you know, that, that, that brings you to an emotional place. Um, and, and it brings you to a different state of mind than you would be if you were just competing and just trying to go out there and just fight your hardest. You know, he, he was bringing something different into the octagon emotionally. And I think that's what we've seen translate out. You know, we've seen him um, fighting in a way as if like it, it was kind of like um, uh, a bit of a bit of a uh, like he wasn't having his way. And when he wasn't having his way, then he just, you know, kind of didn't fight the way that 
he was, you know, that he could fight. You know, I think that he, he abandoned the wrestling and he abandoned just the dominant position in which he could have had against the cage. I, going into this fight, I said that, you know, one of the biggest things for DC was going to be able to do was maybe not so much get him on the ground, but get him against the fence, which equals being on the ground if you're good enough to keep the guys back flat against the uh, against the cage where you can pop shot him and then drop down to a single to always keep him in limbo, not knowing if he's going to strike or get taken down. And that's what you've seen Stipe do. So I think that's where DC was losing a fight. And then once he started to lose a fight in the grappling, it was just, you know, a foregone conclusion where he was going to lose a fight everywhere else. Uh, do you think Stipe had the five round stamina that he was going to need to switch the fortunes of that second fight? Did you see what you needed to see from that? I did. I did. I seen I seen something in Stipe that I didn't really think that he had. You know, he had um, you know, I always thought Stipe was a tough fighter, but but I I I didn't think he was as a cerebral fighter as I seen on Saturday. You know, I seen a very smart, calculated um Stipe get himself out of some situations and prevent DC from getting himself into some favorable positions. And uh, you know, he was thinking a lot and you know more or less moving in a way that um, I didn't really see Stipe moving before or being able to move. Uh, and, and for the most part, you know, when I, when I was, you look at, they're going to be fighting in a small cage, you're thinking, okay, that definitely favored DC. But then when you watch a fight, you know, Stipe was just such a bigger fighter and he went out there and fought like a bigger fighter. Now, uh, you mentioned DC abandoning the wrestling after the first round. It's true. It happened. Even though between fights two and three, he talked almost exclusively about listening to the coaches, going for takedowns. Rashad, I don't remember him attempting a takedown after round one. So how do we, how do we, what do we do with that? Did, did, what, did he just get to a point where he's like, I'm kind of down on these cards. Punching is going to be my way of potentially winning this. Or did he gauge the gas tank against the effort needed? Or did Stipe's physical size and power, like what happened in there, you know, from the outside looking in of why he didn't try to bring that fight to the ground? My guess is this right here. After the first takedown, you usually can tell, right, in, in when you're in a cage, like how it's going to be on a takedown level, how many times you can get the guy down on a wash and repeat cycle based on the struggle that he gives you from the first time. So I'm guessing after the first time he took him down, he realized that, okay, Cipe, uh, you know, he got up pretty good and it's not going to be like the first time. But more importantly, just how strong Stipe was and how much effort DC had to do to keep him down. And then from there, DC had to really gauge, well, was he going to, you know, take the risk of losing his energy, trying to get a takedown that may not be fruitful, that he may just get back up and then have to deal with the onslaught of Stipe on his feet. And I think that's at that point where he was like, I'm going to hedge my bet on just being able to stay on the feet, work from this clinch position and land that big home run shot. DC's credit when he did stick to the feet, even after the eye poke, I mean, he was effective at times. It's just that Stipe wasn't going anywhere and he had the better adjustments. So let's hit the eye poke here. Rashad, uh, I got, you know, I got a little, I got some fiery tweets coming in my direction of people doing the, how dare you? Because in print and in my analysis, I'm just basically like this. I didn't really bring up the DCI pokes from the first two fights a lot or at all. And people are like, what are you hiding that? What are you a DC super fan? You can't even <laughs> recognize that he cheated in there. Um, well, here, let me flip it on you. Let me 180 you right here. Because of DC's history accidentally doing that and having that affect fights and leading Stipe to freaking eye surgery after the rematch, um, you don't get any, any uh, pass or any – like you don't get to lean on it. So when DC comes out in round one and pokes Stipe again, luckily that didn't affect the fight, but you're like, what the hell, man? 
So then when Stipe comes back and answers, and I'm not saying he did it maliciously. I'm not saying he did it on purpose. I'm saying there's, a, you know, there can be a thing, combat karma. You know, it could be, it's real. It could be real. When you have a history of doing that to people and somebody then does it back to you, and yes, I think it affected the fight, but I don't think you get to lean on that at all. Rashad, if there had never been an eye poke in the history of this trilogy and then the one that happened on DC, we may sing a different tune. We may say, you know what? It's too bad that happened. I'd love to see that third fight over again. DC was never the same. No, you have a history doing it. You can't, it's not an excuse. It's, it just is what it is. That's harsh, Rashad, but that's the reality, man. Stipe is not out here crying like he could be for this long history of DC sticking those digits right in his soul. Yeah, I, with, with the eye poke, you know, um, part, of, part of what I think the damage in the eye poke was, uh, let alone from the eye poke itself, was what happened, what we've seen at the end of the second round. At the end of the second round, we see DC gets caught with a hellacious right hand from Stipe and against going, as he's going against his, the, the back of the cage, and you see him get hit in that left eye. And at that point, you've seen him having problems in that left eye. That gets compounded in the third round when he gets poked in the eye, for sure, with a really good poke. And I think the two, the, the two uh, jams in the eye really um, mess up a vision and, and really ha- had his eye almost looking as if, like, you know, he almost went blind just because, you know, when people go blind, they just have no ability to control that eye and just look like he just had no ability to control it. But that poke in the eye... It, it really messed DC up for that left, that left jab, and he really couldn't see Stipe's right hand anymore. And I think that's what really turned things around. But combat karma is real, man. You, you, you do something long enough, and, and it's going to come back to you. Just like life. And I'm not saying DC was, was – <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, like, you know, we've seen Evander Holyfield, Bernard Hopkins. There was some levels through the years of either calculated cheating or – Cheating as a result, Holyfield would lead with his head. It would bang up Mike Tyson. Started using it as a strategy as far as I'm concerned. Whether DC ever did this or not, it's going to come back to you. It did. That's what happened right there. I um, mean, every, every listen, in, in a fight, when, you're, when you get to the upper level, like the highest, highest level with the toughest guys, they always have like these little tricks that are like cheating that you can't that, – that the, like the referee – won't be able to see you know what i'm saying sometimes they like grab the inside of it yeah grab the inside of your glove or grab your shorts or like you know i've even been there with uh fighters who pinch me you know what i'm saying but it's 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 all just to get a reaction and sometimes the referee can't see it and sometimes referee sometimes the fighter will give a foul shot knowing that they have one to give just because they know it's going to make you become unglued unglued mentally speaking so when you when you reach a certain level of competing, you know the the cheap shots become actual strategy. Well, look, we've seen eye pokes play a key role in some big fights. So, are you of the belief that there should be a hard and fast rule, whether you meant to do it or not? You eye poke somebody, you lose a point. Would that change the the laissez faire style of sticking your your fingers out there with your hands spread to try to stop somebody from coming in? No. I don't think so. I mean, you know, when these people are getting poked in the eye, it's just by pure reaction. You know, if if a car is coming at you or a fastball coming at you, first thing you do is you go like that. You know, it's just something that happens when when something comes at you at a fast rate. I think what needs to happen is uh, the UFC needs to modify their gloves. You know, they need to find a glove. Get Coach Trevor in there, okay? Come on. Yeah, I mean, Onyx, Onyx, you know, Onyx makes – one hell of a glove that I think would be uh, w- would save a lot of eye pokes just because of the way the glove is made. And I think once the UFC starts to um, go down that road, 
it will eliminate a lot of the eye pokes just from having your fingers out because the way the gloves are right now, there is, there is no bend in the glove. There is no natural bend in the glove. So in order for the gloves to even bend in the first place to get them in a comfortable position, you got to get the gloves the night before and you got to roll them up and they have to stay rolled up. So then that way, when you put them on your hand, they have a, a, um, a natural curve to them, but that curve is not natural and it's not a curve that's going to stay. So your hand has a tendency to open up and go like this. And especially when you have a wrap under your hand, that's pretty thick. So your hand is like your, your, you can barely close it all the way. So you're, you're, you're forced to have your hand like this and that gets fatiguing after a while. So the fatigue in your hand, it makes it harder for it to close after a while just because of the way the gloves are built. I, I remember uh, Coach Whitman on the Joe Rogan show breaking that down uh, pretty well in the Gaethje episode. And uh, I, I hope UFC uh, takes this seriously. But on a bigger picture here, uh, Stipe's got the resume. I mean, he's freaking 11-2 and two since that loss to Struve. We talked about it last week. He's avenged both defeats by knockouts and title fight rematches. He's knocked out almost everybody he's faced. I mean, even the Angana was a five-round dominant decision. So do we believe, Rashad? We believe as on a resume standpoint. He's the king. He's the best. I want to ask you now, if we put – and I, I hesitate to say prime Stipe because I think Stipe is better in his older age than he even was early on. I think he's constantly adding wrinkles and even better fitness and all that. So, you know, in the mythical matchup in your mind – could he beat a prime Fedor? I, you know what? This Stipe has shown me some things that I, I never thought that Stipe would show me. Like I, I, almost every single time that he's fought, I never pick him to win. And I don't pick him to win because I don't like his style, because I don't, I don't think he's good. I just somehow think that whoever he's fighting, not, not whoever, but for the, most, for the last few fights that – he may be outmatched, but every single time Stipe has proven me wrong. So I'm going to say Stipe is a bad man. And I, I, the thing that makes Stipe so tough and, and so, um, so hard to just gauge how good he is, because, you know, sometimes when he, when he, he, sometimes when he fights uh, certain people, he fights to their levels. You know what I'm saying? And you don't see him just continuously just like just that steamroller through everyone. So I think that kind of, you know, makes people lose that, that, uh, that fear for like a heavyweight, like, wow, this guy can kill anybody, you know, like yeah. you see with the Francis or something like that. So with all of that said, I think a prime Stipe is in the ballpark with Fedor. I can't say he beats a Fedor because that was a different time and era. Those guys back then were just really, really savage. I think, I think he's in a conversation. Look, Prime Kane is still my, my boogeyman because of the cardio, because of, uh, you know, a lot of things. But, man, even Prime Kane against Stipe would be one hell of a fight. I was hoping we were going to no. get that, by the way. We're never getting Prime Kane again. But I thought Kane was going to beat Ngannou. And if he did, Stipe versus Kane for, like, the real who's the best heavyweight of the era would have been great. It's not going to happen, and that's fine. Stipe's the guy. But um, I think what I've overlooked on Stipe, and, look, obviously we all admit his lack of over-the-top marketing ability has – has stunted the people's uh, ability to realize how great he is. I thought he was a little bit more intangibles at times. Like he'd, he was in better shape. He'd outlast people and he's got the power. Look, the reality is he's a complete well-rounded mixed martial artist. Like he's got enough of a wrestling game and, and takedown defense where you can't solve him there. He can box. If there's a bigger guy in front of him, he can also just be the straight up guy who walks you down and gets you out of there. And now we figure out against DC, he can, he can play the, 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 the chess match and completely outsolve you. I mean, 
he effed around and became an absolute complete force, Rashad. And shout out to him. Uh, you know, I, I want to say nothing but great, but great things about him. Uh, do you think DC's done? Because Dana was biting his tongue in a weird way in that post-fight press conference. Officially, Cormier retired after the fight and then again Monday on Instagram. We're going to talk soon about the fallout of all that. But just as it pertains to DC, he said, I won't ever fight again if there's not a title involved. And then he retired where Dana's like, wait and see, almost trying to say like, this guy is such a competitor that if he gets a chance to go out on his own terms, I don't know, Rashad. I, I don't know because I, don't, I think I saw a guy who was, who was kind of done in there. He gave a great effort, but he's done. And um, could you open up in your mind some matchmaking path? I mean, you know, maybe John Jones winning the heavyweight title in D.C. coming back after a year. But is there any – I mean, do you see him again? Do, you see, do we see him again? Should we see him again? I don't think we see D.C. again. And I think we don't see him just because of the fact that he's so well taken care of on a financial level and um, – he has, he has something to go to. You know, he has something strong to lean on with his analyst and, and, and his commentator, cage side ability. You know, he's one of the best guys to ever do it on the cage side. So um, I think he'll be able to find that, that ability to have that itch, the competitive itch scratch, just by being able to, you know, vicariously watch other people achieve and do things like that. And, you know, he, he, he really has nothing left to prove you know he went up there and was double champ and and he did it and not for nothing I think one of the main reasons why we won't see DC back is because you know DC likes to get big and DC likes to eat what he wants to eat and that whole path and and that whole path of 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 training you 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 can't you can't do that so I think after a few years DC's gonna be like I can't do this no more just because he he enjoys living you know his life is comfortable say it I can be fat, I can that <laughs> but my dick works. My dick works. And it will still popping out kids left and right. Uh, shout out to DC and his beautiful family there. Um, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, could I see, like I just envisioned, John Jones running the table, short order, DC going, you know, I got one more in me. That's the only guy I didn't beat, maybe. But I don't see him trying to get in the vacant light heavyweight title sweepstakes. And I don't necessarily see them throwing a Brock Lesnar payday at him where we would care that much either. So uh, if he walks away, Rashad, um, it is what it is. He's a great future Hall of Fame fighter, but I do think he falls short of that upper, upper thing I always talk about because he's, he's secured himself as second place within his era in two separate divisions. And I'm not damning him for that. Good God, he was in the same era as John Jones, the greatest fighter ever, and the greatest heavyweight ever in Stipe. And in, in wrestling, he was there with Kale Sanders. I mean, he's always been the guy behind the guy. He had moments where he reached around that guy who was in front of the guy. Good Lord, sorry about that. Um, but, you know, there were reach around or not. Um, He's, he's kind of a bridesmaid, and I say that, and people are like, you're so oh, disrespectful. Right. That's so disrespectful, man. Dude, I was the DC Super fan last week, so get off my balls. It is what it is, Rashad. <laughs> oh, BC. That's funny. You know what? But I, I, I feel the energy. I feel the energy. I don't exactly agree with everything you're saying, but, 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 I, but I feel the energy. I feel it. You know, I feel that, um, you know, with, with, with the whole thing with, with DC, um, yeah, I mean it, it's a uh, it's it's a very interesting interesting perspective you have there. I just, I just feel like in this third fight, right? He 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 risked it all in a lot of ways to try to make his ceiling higher. And it, yeah, he did. Also, a price to pay when you do that, right? No, he he did. He he risked it all to get higher, but 
you're, you're absolutely right in the fact that, you know, um, he did fall short of, of, that, of that illustrious goal to be, you know, the, the GOAT or one of the GOATs. Uh, he, he's in a conversation of being one of the best to ever do it. But um, when, when it's looked at, it's going to be looked at as, you know, he, he came close, but, you know, just didn't, didn't, quite, uh, didn't quite get it done. I think with the Stipe legacy, the Stipe trilogy, that was, that was it, you know, in the second fight, in my opinion, even though he lost that fight, was his best fight. I think that was one of the best fights I've ever seen DC fight. Oh. Next to the fight where he got knocked out to John Jones. Yeah, those, are, those, are, those are two of his best fights that I've ever seen him fighting from an offensive standpoint, from just, just a total fight, cerebral standpoint, energy standpoint. Those were his two best fights, and he lost those best fights, you know? Look, if he never fights again, let's give him this respect too, Rashad. His career is 11 years long. I know in some ways that's long, but in reality, it's kind of quick. He came from out of freaking nowhere. Yes, a decorated amateur wrestler, but him climbing that ladder in strike force and winning that Grand Prix with that little experience, going five rounds with Josh Barnett, like you just, that's just, you know, that was a freaking eye opener. And then to see him walk in and win titles in two divisions and become one of the best strikers in, in both of those divisions history, Rashad, when he, he says it himself, he couldn't even, they called him Kung Fu Panda back in the day. Cause he couldn't throw any punches. He was all wrestling. That man um, is, is a legend for a reason. Yeah. I mean, to, to go to your Kung Fu Panda comment, when I was fighting rampage, I was training in Denver and I needed some wrestlers to come down and I had DC and Muhammad Lawal come down, but I had DC in camp. And uh, at that point, DC, was terrible with striking. We would do some of, we'd do some drills, and you know, I was, I felt like I was like, man, this guy's never gonna be able to fight. And he was like, he wanted to be a fighter back then. I was like, it's gonna be a tough one, you know. I remember actually, um, someone coming up to me, uh, one of the coaches. He was like, you know, DC wants to fight, but I don't, I don't know if his hands are gonna be, you know, he, he's gonna be able to make it with his hands. And that was in two thousand and nine. And to see where he wow. is right now, is is unbelievable. Now, did King Mo give it to you on the mat or what? What happened there? That's our oh, yeah, I mean, King, King Mo, yeah, we used to battle back and forth, man. King Mo was a beast, man. He was definitely well, you got to be careful when you step foot into his house, by the way. In <laughs> my home. This is my home right here. This is America Top Team. Don't, you, don't disrespect me in my home. Never. Okay, <laughs> never. Well, he's doing a great job coaching down there. You know, he's a, he's a lifer now. He's, 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 he is. I was, I was with Mohamed Lawal back when he was in San Diego. Okay. It's a different King Mo. Different Kmo. Your man entirely. All right. Uh, Rashad, we're going to take a quick pause for the cause, hear from our friends and sponsors. On the other side, though, a lot more to get into in terms of what's next for Stipe, what's next for both divisions, because a lot of ish went down when DC said goodbye for, for real on Monday. All that and then some tall, pale, and handsome. It's BC coming back at you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back, BC Sugar Rashad. It's time to bang, bro. Let me bang, man. I want to do that, man. Let me bang, bro. <laughs> Let me bang, bro. 
Uh, Rashad, let's bang the future out in these two divisions because a lot went down. Good Lord. DC retired. Stipe, he will fight on. John Jones made a buttload of headlines yesterday with about four or five tweets. In summation, here's what we got. He has vacated his 205-pound championship. He has indicated his want to move up to heavyweight. We saw a lot of tweets Saturday night during these in after this fight. And then there was a little back and forth in which he kind of quasi-retired on Monday. And then it see, then he comes back and says, nope, just got off the phone with UFC. We're making progress. We know what he wants. He wants to get paid handsomely to risk it all and go up to heavyweight. His legacy kind of needs it, which is crazy to say about a guy that I'm telling you I think is the greatest fighter of all time. I just think he needs to cement the two-division thing and make it so, like, there ain't no conversation, right? He's ready to do that. I don't know if UFC's ready to pay them. I hope they come to their senses, call up Abu Dhabi, get the extra reserves, make it happen. Uh, if John goes up too heavy, I got to ask you, what's the, what's the matchmaking move for UFC? Is it John for the title right now? Is it John against the winner with the hopes that maybe Ngannou beats Stipe in their rematch? Is it John against Brock Lesnar? I saw Mark Ramondi tweeting that he'd love to see that. What is the, what is the best matchmaking future to close 2020 at heavyweight for the UFC? I believe it's going to be uh... – the winner of, of Stipe and Ngannou. And I say that because John Jones is going to need some time to get the size that he feels comfortable where he's able to compete at heavyweight and be an effective, powerful heavyweight like he was at light heavyweight, you know? So he, he's going he's gonna to take some time. I know he's been uh, doing a lot of power lifting right now. If you look at his Instagram, he's been lifting some weights right now. And he kind of looks like he's a bigger guy and, Without fighting, naturally, he probably gets around 235, maybe 240, you know, just living life normally. But that's just living life. You know, he has to put on another 20 or so pounds to make or, or another 15 or so pounds to make it so that when he is in camp and he cleans out his diet and he cuts himself out, he will be at a strong 235, maybe 230, stepping into the octagon with these guys, you know, so. Um, that's the process, and I, and I think that process is going to be uh, at least at least eight month process, you know. Uh, and and with that time, uh, Stipe and uh, and Engano probably will fight. That rematch would be incredible, Rashad, because uh, we were talking about this on Monday's Morning Combat. It's like what Francis has done to rebuild himself, which is you know insane knockout after knockout all around you know a minute or more or less against huge names. He still hasn't necessarily shown us if he's evolved much from that first Stipe fight in which his ground game was just uh, you know remedial, not there. I, I, he's definitely more confident. I think he's a better striker. I think he's figured out emotionally some of the things he needed to figure out, deal with fighting with the UFC, with being uh, the next big thing and then being a letdown, all that stuff that he went through the roller coaster there. But uh, we don't really know what that fight will look like, and that's crazy. And Vegas is already coming out, and, and they're liking uh, Francis as the favorite over Stipe. They're also liking uh, John as a favorite over Stipe, and they're liking Francis as a favorite over John in terms of those three fights to make. Obviously, heavyweight division, this is great. We got star power. We have fights we need to see and make. But if they do Stipe, Francis, this year, woo-hoo, that rematch will be something. I mean, is it better from a pay-per-view buy standpoint when John does debut for the title? And look, unless he's fighting 
Brock Lesnar in some money match. He's going to debut for the title when he gets his body ready. Is it better for the UFC that it's Stipe with all that history and John, you know, took it from the greatest UFC heavyweight champion of all time? Or is it better to have the Predator built up as a monster who just solved Stipe and now he's going in there against John? That's an interesting question. Um, I think both of them can, can grab a lot of attention, you know, because with the Stipe, you have him really uh, looking to cement himself in history as being the GOAT, you know, and that's always something to see. And it's kind of something unexpected to see him, you know, really solidifying himself not only as a GOAT of heavyweight, but also in reality of the two-weight classes of light heavyweight as well, too, because if he beats John Jones, he just takes all that shine, you know? So um, it, it, it will be something that gets a lot of attention. But I think that the Francis and John Jones, it, it gets – uh, huge attention just because you know with that fight uh, it, it's it's a big potential for John to do something we've never seen which is get knocked the hell out and, and I think a lot of people would want to see that probably want to see that or potentially see that and here's the thing that um, when you're talking about with Francis what does he have you know we know that he has a stand-up and we know that he has power to boot and with the speed and everything else like that but the but the thing that we don't know is how he is on the ground. Well, I got a chance to train with Francis, and and whenever I whenever I, I've trained with him a few times, and I was blown away with his grappling ability. Just, I mean, from let the me, fundamental let me stop standpoint. You and ask you this: Do you agree with with the early Vegas lines that if they do that rematch next, Francis should be the favorite? Yes, I think so because. Uh-huh. Let's count Stipe again, brother. Let's um, do it. Uh, um, listen, it's, it's Francis. Francis wrestling has gotten tremendously better, and his understanding of where to move his body and positionals and positions where he didn't know before. You know, like when like when you get a guy down, I immediately know how good the guy is just by the way he moves his hips. If the guy doesn't move his hips the right way. I know he's going to have a terrible time getting up from the bottom. But if the guy moves his hips the right way, and I know he's going to be a little bit harder to hold down. Well, Francis now moves his hips the right way, and now he knows how to push his power to get uh, in, in, in a good position, technically speaking, so he doesn't have to waste so much energy getting back up to his feet. And that's the biggest difference when you see a guy like Francis before, because before he gets taken down, and he'll think he can just like muscle himself up, but that gets you extremely tired. Now he's found a more effective way to get back up without using so much energy. Are you saying uh, the hips don't lie, Rashad? The hips don't lie. <laughs> the life as well. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it at that. Uh, they never did. All right. Uh, look, John, so here's what John tweeted out. After those initial fake retirement tweets about, you know, out of good faith, I'll stay in the USADA testing pool, blah, blah, blah. He came back with just had a really positive conversation with UFC. Sounds like there will be negotiations for my next fight at heavyweight. All good news, comma, the weight gaining process begins. And then when, uh, when some fan came at him and, asked, and told him to build up his calves, he responded with, uh, it would have been fun to be a two-division champ, but have you seen the size of the guys in my family? I really do believe putting on a little extra weight is going to bring out my true genetic athletic potential. End quote. Uh, this is what we want. If John's going to do it, commit to it. 
Put the, I mean, look, when he had those, uh, we've seen him in the past put out the videos of powerlifting when he was coming off suspensions or what have you, and he can get, he can get big and jacked, and we've seen the size of his brothers, who if you see them like in Vegas at a fight, Rashad, they are freaking like, you're like, is that a pro wrestler? Who the hell is that? Like, they're like some big, big dudes. Um, I'm, I'm still riding John. I am still ride or dying John until I see differently that he's going to beat all these heavyweights, but it's going to be a magic carpet ride to get there. He will have to walk that tightrope uh, with some big sluggers. I can't wait for the theater that this will bring. But answer me this. Uh, before John went on this Twitter rant, ESPN's Brett Okamoto, a, a man of the people, a man I love, interesting that sources had told him that – August, uh, September 26th, which will be the UFC 253 uh, three card, yep, uh, Adesanya Costa, and that they were looking at making on that card Dominic Reyes against Jan Blahowicz. And a little, little cryptic in the tweet about maybe uh, you start thinking for the vacant light heavyweight title. So was that like a, hey, I'm UFC, we want John to piss or get off the pod? Um, we want to make a decision. We'd like him to rematch Dom Reyes because if John's going to heavyweight anyway, then there's a good chance Dom beats him and gets this giant rub from that. So was this their way of saying, like, dude, we're about to put this vacant title at stake. Get out of here if you're not going to fight Dom. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I, I think they, they kind of had an idea of what John was going and was privy to the conversation of what, you know, what John was feeling. And it, it was, you know, this goes all the way back probably a few months ago when initially John reached out and was really trying to get the interest for him to fight Francis, you know? Uh, I think that was just kind of like a poke to see where his value was to the UFC and what they were willing to do to uh, make him um, that fighter, you know, to invest in him. And uh, he was kind of disappointed with their lackluster, uh, you know, response to, to his interests. And, and I think at that point, it kind of soured his, his feelings toward, toward the promotion. But for the most part, it, it made him want to really pursue going to heavyweight. And, um, you know, w- when you fight light heavyweight and you've, you've already cleared out the division for, you know, for a couple of generations of fighters, you know what I'm saying, for the Chuckledale era, for my era, and then, you know, it, it kind of it makes you, you want to reinvent yourself and try something new. And with John Jones, who, who, who struggles with trying to make life interesting, and I say that because of the activity he may get into outside of the octagon, you know, this may be the, the thing that grabs his attention and keeps him focused and, and, and gets him to redirect that energy into a positive, you know, more fruitful uh, thing for himself. Well, if they did Dom versus Blahowitz for the uh, for the vacant title, with the whole idea that look, Dom might be the guy you can build around from a marketing standpoint, that'd be not a bad idea. You got uh, Jerry Prochatska, or however bad I'm pronouncing that as a as a name. You got some young hungry names there. Uh, Gustafson out of that division. Do you believe some of the tweets people are going? Well, obviously uh, DC is going to take a year off and get skinny again, and then fight the winner of uh, Dom uh, Blahowitz. Doesn't that even happen? There's no, there. no. Yeah, yeah. By the way, would you think DC should have, in hindsight, in hindsight, okay, should have come in closer to 205 than 246 for this third fight with CPE, knowing what we know now, maybe having quicker movement, better gas tank, or we or am I just trying really hard to work, you know, DC into winning that third fight? I just feel like he's no, too I, fat. He's too fat. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, f- I, f- I felt as if like this fight, he was he was a bit too truculent. You know, you can always tell 
how DC is going to move. Just, just how, how barrel, like how big his body looked. His body looked a little bit bare, you know, bigger, like as if like, you know, he like looked as if like he couldn't move as fluidly as he was before. And um, when, when he first came up to uh, heavyweight, you've seen that speed transfer over and you've seen that, wow, he's so much faster. But every single fight, it looked as if like he slowed down the more he became a true heavyweight, you know, more he got with the size and everything else like that. Um, go on. Although he was the fattest in the first fight of the three, which doesn't make any sense. But I know. He, you know, it's weird. He, he had he had that speed though. He still had that 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 light heavyweight speed. But yeah. I don't I don't know. It just it, it, it did. When 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 I seen Stipe come in as light as he did, then I then I was like, oh man, you know, DC DC was going to have some trouble. But I also didn't really. Um, think that Stipe was going to be able to use that size to impose on DC because he wasn't as heavy as he was. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, if Dom ends up being the man, he's going to have to fight Jan Blachowicz, who's on a nice little run here. Uh, there is a boogeyman who has entered himself into that division again. Rashad, we've been waiting for Anthony Rubble Johnson to make a decision, to, to, to do what he had to do. He has, according to manager of the Stars, Ali Abdelaziz, your, your manager, he has announced that Rumble Johnson's ready to enter the USADA pool. And I don't know if you've seen pics of him lately on social media. He's a lot thinner than he was, uh, you know, earlier this year. He's going to go at 205. Rashad, uh, this guy might win the championship. Seriously, I know it's been a long time. But, like, yes, we want this. This is sex. Bring this. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, I was just in the gym at Sanford MMA yesterday. And uh, I had a chance to, you know, work alongside AJ and just see him training. And, and he looks phenomenal. And, and here's what he's, he's, he's doing something which I didn't really see him doing a lot of before, which is working on his grappling. You know, he's in there doing grappling work, uh, working with one of the toughest guys and tall Steve at the gym and just, you know, really just um, getting himself comfortable with the aspect of MMA, which he you know, really wasn't uh, his strongest thing, which is the grappling aspect. So he, he's really um, changed his mindset. And I think the break away from not competing allowed him to come back to it from a pureness standpoint. And, and, and because he's coming back from a pureness standpoint, he enjoys getting back in shape. He enjoys doing the things that which he didn't do before, which is that grappling. Uh, he's 36, but Here's the deal. I think we're going to see him in both divisions. I think he's going to end up fighting for a title in both divisions. And uh, if he adds a little bit more focus on stopping takedowns, on, on, on rounding out that game a little bit more, that sick power ain't going anywhere, Rashad. Maybe that time off of the mental and physical grind, like you just sort of teased that, maybe we'll find a, re- a reborn man, and that's going to be fun as crap, okay? I love that guy. I love him, all right? You know, we're not, we're not here to, we're not here to crack any chokes. He hits too hard. We're not here. (laughs) (laughs) You can't choose that. And AJ AJ don't take jokes too well. He might, he might think he's serious. I I agree with that. I've interviewed him and I'm just kind of nervous. I've been waiting there. All right. uh, Let's wrap up on uh, the two, five, two over the weekend. It wasn't the sugar show for your, for your son, uh, Sean O'Malley. It was a loss. His first one against a very hungry, very violent and aggressive uh, Cheeto Vera. You, you picked Vera, so this was something you could have seen coming. But I want to get your take, because we've seen some wild-ass takes here. Uh, it was a right leg injury. Cheeto says it was caused when he checked a kick. So 
He thinks it's damage he inflicted on O'Malley. Some people have slowed down the tape and saw when O'Malley landed a different kick, it seemed to change the way. Either way, is this a legitimate loss? Should this be seen as a legitimate loss for Sean O'Malley and any levels of concern moving forward? Yes, it should be considered a legitimate loss. You know, I watched the tape back and um, I seen the kick that, that did it. You know, uh, Cheeto landed a pretty good leg kick and it hit um, Sean like in the back of his knee, like in, in like his leg back of his knee area. And I think at that point, you see him go back to the cage and, and that's when he rolled over his toe for the first time. And when you start rolling over your toe and start rolling over your ankle, that's a sure sign of nerve damage. So rather it be the uh, the perineal nerve or the sciatic nerve, whatever nerve that runs down the center of his leg that got hit, that goes to his foot, it got disrupted. And when that, when that nerve gets disrupted, it takes time. It takes some time and it takes, uh, you know, it's, it's not an easy one to, um, to get over. And that's the most frustrating part about those lower leg kicks that happen is because it takes you out and in a way that just completely enables you to move. But the worst part about it is that you feel like you can still fight and you want to still fight, but your leg is just dead and it doesn't get, it doesn't come back uh, for a while, for a long while after that, you know, you're going to be feeling that for the next couple of days. And um, that's, that's a frustration that Sean had to deal with. But when you're in a fight, you know, it, it, the way I like it is to like, um, you know, you're like a fighter jet. And as you're in the fight, you know, different parts of your, your, your playing go down, but you got to find a way to, to make it work. You got to find a way to make the adjustment to uh, keep your fighter playing going. And Sean wasn't able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think there's different levels to the whole idea of like a freakish ending. There's the Michael Chandler Brent premise ending where you're like, okay, that was like, we didn't see anything. We didn't learn anything. There's the Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman rematch ending with the leg shattering. You're like, all right, like I know Weidman inflicted that, but it's freaky. Uh, this felt a little bit closer to like a Frank Mir, Brock Lesnar, one ending Rashad, where it's like, we learned some things, right? I don't think it's, it's de- destroying to, you know, didn't destroy uh, Lesnar's value or his career arc. And it's not going to destroy Sean O'Malley, but it's certainly a step back because this was the showcase. He was supposed to become yeah. that crossover star right here, an instant title contender. I think what separates this fight from some of those lamer ones I mentioned was because Cheeto Vera was as violently opportunistic as possible. If he doesn't dive in and Ooh. end that and look like, you know, whether he's knocked him out or not, he looked like he knocked him out, and that's enough for Herb Dean to be like, you know, with that, with the injury, let's, let's save this kid here. Uh, that's a great win for Cheeto, even with the freak nature of it. And I hope he goes to giant and big things from here. So I think it's like two competing things at once. I don't think it kills O'Malley, and it's perfect for Vera. And we probably see this again down the road. I just don't think we need to see it right now. The, the loss is legitimate enough, right? It came from what happened. It wasn't an accidental headbutt, right? It, it, was, right. it was something that happened. You know, we still have a lot of questions that we need answered. We're just going to slow down the build of all things Sean O'Malley. Uh, hit me quick on Biggie Boy rising up and knocking – JDS out three consecutive knockout losses for the former champion. But the story here is uh, Rosenstruck's back from that loss to Francis. Yeah. In, in a big way too, you know, taking on his ATT uh, um, stable mate and, and, and JDS. And you can kind of tell early out that there was some kind of cross pollination as far as what JDS understood um, uh, Biggie boy strengths to be, because early out, you know, he was looking 
really good and gave Biggie Boy a lot to handle, a lot of different looks, a lot of different movements, and kind of kept Biggie Boy on his heels and a slower fighter. But um, like I gave in my analysis, you know, JDS would be able to do a good job moving from the outside and, and picking him apart. But at some point, Biggie Boy was going to land. And when he landed, that was going to be the true test to see how JDS was able to, you know, handle that. You know, when you've been in the wars that JDS has been in, been in, skill is just not enough. You know, skill is not enough. You need uh, the ability to be able to take those big shots from these heavyweights. And and, and for not for nothing, I, I hate to just like to to you know to make it sound like because I'm jumping on JDS, but I I, I didn't like his game plan, and I say that. Um, he was doing good moving around and, and finding his openings, but I didn't feel like he used all of his tools. And that's my biggest problem with JDS. He's so phenomenal with his standup, but he doesn't use all of his tools. You know, he has the ability to wrestle. He has the ability to use his jujitsu. And with his jujitsu, with his wrestling, he had such a, a huge advantage over Biggie Boy. Like, it's ridiculous the the amount of trouble that he could have put Biggie Boy on the ground uh, if he would have took him down to the ground or put him in any grappling situations. And then from there, after he got him in some kind of grappling situations, if Biggie Boy survived that, then he can stand up and strike with him and not worry about that power because his muscles have filled up with so much blood from the lactic acid that his arms are too tired to push out that kind of power. That's how you got to beat a guy like Biggie Boy, not standing in front of him, Megan. Uh, Rashad, it's time to tell the truth here, okay? I'm not asking you this question as a journalist. I'm not asking you on the CBS Sports HQ desk. Uh, This ain't a podcast question. I am Junior Dos Santos calling you up on the phone, saying, Rashad, I just suffered my third straight KO loss. All the really good opponents, though. You know I could probably be a lot of the the middle-of-the-road guys, faded names, young guys that aren't quite ready. But... You hated my strategy. I got knocked out again. I'm 36. Got a beautiful family. What the hell should I do with the rest of my career? Should I finish? Rashad, should I finish? Okay? This ain't professional. There's no cameras here, Rashad. This is friend to friend on that telephone line. What are you saying? I would tell him to finish, and I would tell him to finish and and just fight uh, because he likes to compete, and and he enjoys competing. But I feel like if he if he stops right now after that loss, I think that is something that would just eat at him. I would say fight again, fight someone not such a big name, just to get a win or get a couple wins, and just and then be done with it. You know, I know he has aspirations of being a world champion again, but that that's a that's the mountain to climb, and and that's a lot of damage to keep on putting on his body at this point. You know, I mean, you know, if he's not going to fight the way that he needs to and, you know, fight uh, with all of his tools, then he needs to, to, to definitely um, not be fighting because you can't take these big shots from the guys up of the upper echelon. You know, you can't take shots from Biggie Boy and Alistair or, you know, Ngannou, for God's sakes. You can't take those shots anymore. You have to be able to use your grappling. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the friend Rashad coming out right there. I respect that. Uh, true or false, would you have followed up with – Hey, bro, can you do me a solid? Can you call it Sam Alvey? <laughs> we gotta, I don't want, you know, shout out to Sam Alvey's potential kids and grandkids, but one day he's going to be able to say, 
uh, be the UFC champ. You ain't, you ain't, done, you ain't done shit, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Be the UFC no. Hall of Famer. <laughs> no, he didn't. Okay, not, not in that. <laughs> Thank you. All right. right. Uh, yeah, that's that from the weekend. A couple of news and notes, though, I want to hit up. Let's bring this guy back into the mix. Haven't heard from him in a while. I'm going to smash your boy, guys. This is number one bullshit. Uh, lightweight champion. My pound for pound king, Habib Nurmagomedov. Uh, wow, Rashad. Wow. We'll leave that one on the highlight reel, the blooper reel. I mean, uh, he gave a press conference in Russia of some kind. He did confirm that UFC is willing to uh, entertain his idea of fighting GSP for what would be p- apparently Habib's uh, send off, his retirement bout. Uh, he did mention GSP is 40 next year. He wants to get confirmation from GSP that he can do this. Uh, Rashad, I'm going to jump in and add my editorial that. If, if GSP can't make lightweight, which would make this fight the most interesting, right? It would give him a chance to be a three-division champion. It would go, you know, it would be a great win. But if they do it at a, at a catchweight or a different weight, I don't see the historical appeal of it as much. Although I respect that Habib's dad wanted that fight. But here's what's interesting. They were asked, Habib, what if you can't get GSP? What if you beat Justin Gaethje and you can't get GSP? He says, quote, if I don't fight St. Pierre... I'd fight anyone who beats Dustin Poirier next, whether it's Tony or McGregor, after I fight Gagey. I don't think I, have, I can remember this guy being willing to smash our boy again. He's using names like Conor McGregor. Your thoughts? I like it. I like it. But, you know, I, I like it because he's playing the fair game. He's like, you got to beat somebody. Like, you're just not going to keep on jumping in front of this line and cutting everybody because you're Conor McGregor and you draw a pay-per-view. No, this is about principle. This is about earning your way. This is about merit, okay? You got to earn your way to this spot. And Habib is like, listen, unless you beat somebody that's worthy of that attention, then you're not getting a shot at me because what do I look like fighting you if you haven't even beat who you need to beat to even be fighting me? I feel him. That's fair. If you want to find me, please just send me location. Send me location. Stone cold killer, that guy. And and he's hilarious. Uh, It's going to be interesting, Rashad, when we do these, uh, we do these goat debates a lot. I'm, I'm a suspect here. I bring up the goat all the time. DC, if he wins, he's in my goat room. Who cares about my damn goat room? All right. It's in my basement. It's where I, it's, it's awful. It smells like mold. Um, but, (laughs) Dude, seriously, if Habib beats Gaethje and then fights any of those names and then says, like, deuces, I'm out of here at age 30, whatever, uh, he's going to be in my goat room, and he's going to be fighting for the uh, the top horn, if you will, Rashad, all right? Uh, what the hell are we going to do with this guy if he runs the table? I mean, this is insane. I mean, if he runs the table, he, he has to be in everybody's goat room. I mean, there's there's – there's no one who, who has done it like him, you know. Oh, he might be the damn goat. He might be yeah. the damn goat. God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and it will be very fitting because he's such a um such a good person inside and outside the octagon, you know. And uh, you know, it's just tremendous to see the amount of success that he have and just how hungry and consistent that he is uh every single time you see him step in the octagon. He's gonna have his hands full against a Justin Gaethje who has the ability to get back up and, and who has ability to challenge his wrestling in a way that other fighters were not able to. And I think a, a thing that, that makes this matchup interesting that's really not getting a lot of attention is the fact that uh, Justin Gaethje was training with Kamaru Usman. And Kamaru Usman is one of, you know, they have a very similar style, that grinding style. So 
training with somebody like Kamaru Usman could definitely make him ready for the for what he needs to fight somebody like Khabib. I cannot wait for that fight. That would not be an easy night at the office for Habib. Um, I do think, though, for that final fight, if it is his final fight, if you can't get GSP for, for the right weight class, uh, Ferguson might be the best thing left because it would, it would fill that hole of never having seen it, even if it becomes in some people's eyes after the fact. I would like if Tony beat somebody of high rapport first to set it up, but imagine if he finally fought a, a somewhat you know rejuvenated Tony and adds that as like, because look, if he beats Connor again, he'll make a lot of money, but it won't, it won't necessarily do much to his critical uh, yeah. resume. If he adds Tony on top of that, he, I mean, he'll have beaten Gaethje, Poirier, uh, Barbosa, you know, on and on down, McGregor, on and on down the line. I mean, that's uh, Iaquinta. I mean, look, injuries, there, there were some gaps. There's some gaps where you, you wish that um, Habib already would have fought all these guys at this point. But God, if it was Tony, That'd be it. That'd be nice. That'd be interesting to end it right there. Uh, I love I love me some Habib, okay? It took me a while to come around fully on him as well. Look, I like flashy things, all right? I like McGregor. <laughs> I like, I, here's the thing, Rashad. You could sell me a candy or, or a food item that I don't even like, but you can put it in, like, bright orange wrapper and say the all-new. I'm, dude, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you. Dana uh, White asked if he's interested in meeting with uh, – former three-time Bellator lightweight champion Michael Chandler, who has entered uh, free agency, and he says yes. He says absolutely. Uh, Chandler sent this out to his Instagram. Throw yourself into the fire so at worst you can feel the agony of defeat, but at best you will feel the thrill of victory while daring greatly. This was, This life was not meant to be lived lukewarm. See you in the fire. See you at the top. End quote. Uh, whatever that inspirational Tony mm. Robbins jazz was, I liked it. A B. That seems to say I- I'm ready for all that smoke. Dana's interested. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's make this happen, Rashad. All right. Shout out to Coker and, and company. But well, let's do. Let's do business. I mean, listen. If you're a fan of fighting, you definitely want to see Chandler get a shot in the UFC, just because what the resume that he's done in, in Bellator. And um, honestly speaking, you know, it, it, it's it's almost as if like they've they've run out of challenges for him. You know what I'm saying? Like they need something to to really get the value out of him. But you only can get the value out of him is if you can get a good dance partner, somebody to rival him with skills. You know, he needs a rival. And, and, and in the UFC, he'll definitely find a rival. He'll definitely find a lot of interesting matchups. And it will give him a, uh, a new sense of, of of something to aim for, you know, the, the thing also, you know, you hear from a lot of Bellator fighters, they love the promotion, but they just can't, they can't stand just not knowing when, you know, it's too inconsistent of knowing what's going to happen. And I think being able to be in the UFC and having the consistency, uh, strength of schedule, knowing what you're going to be doing, knowing what the, uh, the plan is, then it, it allows fighters to just get in a different mindset and allow them to just getting to being, uh, a competing athlete, you know, I think when, not to get too far off the subject, but when you look at somebody like Matt Mitrione, you look at his hot and cold and how he's just kind of like not really into it. It's because of the starting and stopping of, of the Bellator. He really, you know, it, it takes, it takes something out of you sometimes when you just don't know, like, why am I even doing this? You know, what's the purpose? What's the goal? You know, there's, there's, the shows are not consistent enough. And I think that's one thing that would, would change with Michael Chandler going to the UFC. Uh, we, we, we want to see Chandler against absolutely everybody. So there's obviously no wrong answer to this. I think last week when we talked about it, uh, if he fought Paul Felder 
as an intro to the octagon that freaking high class theater. How about him against future lightweight champion Kevin Lee? That that's I think that might be the one I want. That's that might be yeah. But I mean, you know, but you know they're not gonna give him something easy. They never give anybody something easy. They welcome Eddie uh, Eddie Alvarez with Cowboy when Cowboy was smoking hot. You know what I'm saying? You remember that oh, baptism? Frank- you remember that baptism? Oh yeah, yeah. That was a technical uh, brilliance from Cowboy that night. With it those really was. Leg kicks, just like nope, you're not gonna. <laughs> You're not going to lure me into a brawl, and you're not going to win this. So that was uh, that might have been the last time we could say the words "prime cowboy." Although he had uh, he had that little run there when his son got first was born, when uh, to look like the the man of old again. Uh, other news quickly here: Rashad Page Van Zant did sign that uh, multi million dollar deal with the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships. Uh, she gave an interview to MMA Fighting where it was revealed they're going to be using her as like full-on brand ambassador she has a four-fight deal but she's going to be on the broadcast team she's going to be marketing as you know the face of this that's that's all fine but she gave this quote which was interesting uh my family was nervous about anywhere i went so it's truly whatever i wanted to do and it wasn't a thought for me to get cut open in bkfc i feel like at this point i'm paid well enough that i can have plastic surgery i have a plastic surgeon on speed dial and i can send him a text and say hey You've got to fix me up. Uh, oh, boy. I mean, I mean I, like, okay, you're a warrior. I get it. But uh, I don't know. I don't know, Rashad. I'm not trying to know her financial business. I don't know. I don't. I just, you know, yeah. Okay. I, listen, I, I would say this. I thought about the whole bare knuckle fighting. I thought about it for a hot second. I was like, yeah, it looks interesting, right? I was looking for a challenge, you know. I can bang still, right? Yeah, let me bang. Then I then I went to a fight, and then I went to a a, a fight, and and when I was there, it was just I was like, ooh, like me, me. I was like, ooh, this is this is this is different. You know what I'm saying? It was just different, and it was it was brutal. It was raw, and I'm thinking about Paige signing that contract. I'm like. Maybe she didn't go to an event to see actually what she was signed. Like the idea of it sounds great, but when you actually see like what these guys are doing to each other, cutting each other up, and and these like it, it's it's so hard. Like that that is such a hard uh, sport because with those with no gloves, it doesn't take much to end the fight. So sometimes you're not even watching the best person win. You're just seeing the best person who landed that shot. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, like we've all watched videos of a male and female um, cohabitating in adult ways. And that's okay. But then somebody's like, Hey, how about this video? And you're like, Oh dude, that's just like, I don't, you know, the, like R Kelly's involved. I don't, you know, I don't want yeah. I, I can't go down that road. This is what yeah. this is in the fight game. And it, it is what it is for people who need it. Like, Tiago Alves, Hector Lombard are going to be a part of this next card. That's fine. Maybe they need it. Maybe that's the last stop on the way out the door, Rashad. Uh, she's like diving into that last stop. She's like, yeah, okay, I'll do this. Um, uh, you know, her, her extended interview did say, uh, you know, she doesn't love the grappling side of the game and the submission side, so this doesn't involve that. She broke her arm three times on the ground. Now, you know, it's just going to be striking, and she feels that she's a great striker, but – have you seen the matchmaking Bellator's willing to give you? If you want to go be the face of that, you could have had a you could have had an easy time against some soccer moms. Now you're going to go in there with people that are they're ready to cut you up. Okay, just 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 yeah, just, get that plastic surgeon ready. Just know that. But uh, you know, hey, if she wants to cash in, Rashad. But here here's an, here's another thing too. It, it, it's it's when you're looking at somebody like Paige Vincent, you're looking at somebody who is just 
a, a, a brand, um, a brand's dream, you know, somebody who's very marketable, you can put anything on her and she'll sell, you know, people want to, people want to look at her. They want, they want to get things from her. They want to trust what she says. So, I mean, I don't, you, you don't get that w- with the bare knuckle championship. I mean, maybe, maybe because she's, you know, beautiful and doing that, maybe it's going to be able to, you know, uh, they can work that angle, but I just don't see from a marketing standpoint is, you know, that she's going to be able to throw herself into the uh, transitional um, area where she needs to be, because look, you, you want to be able to like all of this fighting is, is a springboard. You know what I'm saying? Like no one can be a fighter forever. So you have to be able to use this as a springboard into something you can do forever. I.e. me doing analyst work right now. Right. I can do this forever, but I use fighting as a springboard. So she needs to find something that's a better springboard than this. Well, I did look closer in that story and David Feldman, the BKFC uh, promoter founder did say that uh, there's clauses in her contract that says she can't compete for other MMA or boxing during the, the, the length of this four fight deal, but she can do pro wrestling. She can do grappling tournaments. So it, you would think she's looking at this as how can I have my cake and eat it to do both, you know, get out into WWE. But again, I don't think this is the best infomercial for that when you're, you all you need to do is get into one of these bloody gross battles and your knuckles are broken. And you're like, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm at the state fair right now. Where am I? All right. Uh, Rashad, let's get into this weekend. It is uh, Bellator 244 going down this Friday night, Mohegan sun bubble in Connecticut. Uh, I believe that's another one of those uh, Paramount Network DAZN simulcasts. Do not have that information in front of me. Ryan Bader is back. The light heavyweight title defense against Vadim Nemakov, the 28-year-old Russian who's on a pretty good run himself, coming in having won six in a row. He submitted Rafael Carvalho. He won a split decision over Phil Davis, knocked out Liam McGarry. He's beaten some people we know. How tough of a challenge is this for Bader's 205 title? It's a really tough challenge for him because he is actually strong in a position where, where Bader excels at, which is on the ground, you know. And for the most part, uh, Bader has shown him some good things on his feet, but that, that's all predicated off the basis that he can take you down and blow you out of the water when he goes transitions for the takedown. Without the fear of that, then he just becomes a striking guy, you know. And, um, you know, he can push a high pace. He, he does have a really, really nice left hook and some surprising power. But um, this is a different fighter for This is a different fight for him. And, and, and you said, you know, with, with this guy being able to beat Phil Davis, we've seen how close Phil Davis and uh, Ryan Bader are. Every single time they fight, it's pretty much a standstill. And it can go to a draw. But, um, you know, Ryan, Ryan Bader ha- has won each time. So I, I do think that this is going to be a lot closer fight just because if you look at that match below and how they match up is, uh, with, with, um, with Phil Davis, it, it's going to be a tough one for him. Yeah, Bader had the same uh, split decision with Davis in their rematch, which was his first Bellator fight. That's one of the most boring five-round fights I've ever seen, Rashad. Consistently that. boring, like yeah. not just one time, like consistently. <laughs> they also wrestled in college. It was probably pretty boring too. Uh, Julia Budd back in this co-main uh, first fight since losing to her, her title at featherweight to Cyborg. She, uh, that was January of this year. She's going to take on Jessica Mealy. Uh, Roy Nelson, Rashad, is 44, and uh, it, he has lost four in a row, five of his last six, seven of his last nine. We're going to see him in there against Valentin Moldovsky. Is there any way you will watch this fight? 
Oh, man. Uh, I'm, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it because it's my boy, Roy. You know, I coached him on the Ultimate Fighter show. But, you know, Roy, Roy is always a fun guy, fun guy for me. It's right now, you know, um, you know where, where does he want to be at? You know, does he still want to compete anymore? But when you're 44 years old, it's like, all right, I got a few more fights. I'm getting his money. You know, we know what this is about. Okay, it is what it is. Let, let them cash them checks. Uh, it goes down for the UFC this Saturday at the Apex in Las Vegas. It will be on a regular ESPN, a fight night card. Hell of a good matchup here. The Bantamweight debut of former lightweight champion Frankie Edgar against the currently top five ranked Pedro Munoz in that main event. Rashad, this fight had been uh, postponed a couple times. Munoz coming off that loss to Aljamain Sterling, but he'd won a, a, a hell of a lot of fights in a row before that, including a knockout of Cody Garbrandt. Uh, I feel like we're going to see a little bit of uh, fireworks here. You know, I, I just want to see, can the old man that we love, Frankie Edgar, can he do it in a new weight class at this level? What, are your, what does your heart tell you? Can he I, think, I think he can do it at this weight class. You know, um, Frankie, his whole career, has, has made a career out of fighting out of his weight class, you know, and he's been able to uh, – you know, find a lot of success being the smaller fighter. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see him go in there fighting with people around his same size and, um, you know, being able to, to use some of those intangible skills that we've seen him have at the upper weight classes with his transitions. You know, one, one of the best uh, transitional fighters in the game when it comes to punching and striking, the whole system that he has with Mark Henry is next level, you know, and, um, I look forward to seeing how that how that is at a lower weight class. But he's going against a very tough Pedro Munoz who has, you know, a lot of squabble in him himself and has power in those hands. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's going to be interesting to see. And he and Frankie might not be the quicker fighter in this fight. Pedro's pretty fast himself. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, – things go down with Frankie dropping down to 135 and going with a lot faster guys. Because when you go down a weight class, you do gain in strength, but what you gain in strength, you lose in speed and sometimes even conditioning. Yeah, that's that's the biggest hurdle we need to see. If he can come down and be, you know, look as good as Jose Aldo did where there's no fears of too much about stamina or about uh, being extra you know, open to getting stopped. Uh, I would feel a lot more confident about this Rashad if we didn't just see Frankie, not the loss to Max. You know, he fought well. He fought as good as he can in his late 30s, but in that title bout. But to to get knocked out by a Korean zombie in what felt like an easier manner than we'd really ever seen him before. Okay, the elbow against against uh, uh, against T uh, T City was was violent. You know, we sort of said, okay, that was what it was, but. This knockout was sort of like, oh, is is that it? Is there, are we? Is it time? And you know, he's gonna. He's going to do the experiment one more and go down and wait. Uh, should dur- will dirty, durability be a problem here? Do you think it might be? You know, when you get older, um, it's harder to take those shots. It's harder to take those shots. You do get rattled easy. Um, it, it's it's something that you you can't do anything about, and it's just what happens uh, as you accumulate and get too many fights. You know, it's just something that happens that your body does naturally. It, it does it to protect yourself, you know, just like how you build up a callus on your, on your hands, well, you also build a callus in your body in a sense that when you get hit after a certain amount of time, as you've been take, knocked out a few times, it has like a dead man switch. And when your body gets to that position where it gets hit, it just shuts down just to prevent yourself from getting damaged anymore. And, you know, we'll see if that button has been tested or touched on um, 
on Frankie, but you know, it, it's uh, it, it remains to be seen. Yeah, it's an interesting fight. Looking forward to it. Uh, OSP back to light heavyweight in the co-main after that one-off. Uh, did, who did he fight? He went up and didn't look great. You remember that? Just a couple. Just a, yeah. It, um, how's that from for memory? Uh, I'm sure I can look it up here. OSP went up uh, against Ben Rothwell in May mm-hmm. and lost that split decision where he, sh- he showed bursts, but he's back down against Alonzo Menafield. Uh, any cares on this fight, Rashad? Yeah, a lot of cares. Alonzo is um is is a lot making a lot of uh noise at Fortis MMA. Um a beast over there with uh Safe Saeed. My old training partner at Jackson's got him right and, and uh Menafield's a fighter, man. He he really, really enjoys the fight. He really enjoys the process of it and um very dangerous, a big powerful striker and a, a pretty technically sound uh, striker at that so osp is going to have a bit of trouble you know just just from because he gets wild and he gets out of place sometimes with his hands and his feet and it makes that that's the thing that makes osp good but it also makes him very vulnerable because sometimes you know he comes with the unorthodox wild stuff and then he's able to catch people because they can't see it but sometimes he's out of position and he gets caught so um it's going to be interesting to see how OSP fights his fight. If he moves forward and he's, and he's uh, you know, using his reach and using his size, he can impose some powers from Minifield. But for the most part, I think Minifield has his one. Uh, the rest of the card is pretty slim there. I am interested in seeing women's flyweight prospect uh, Maria Agapova out of ATT, who had run off three wins in a row since her contender series loss and had that win over Hannah Cyphers was was uh, scintillating. She'll be back in there against Shayna Dobson. Anything else on this card you care about, Rashad? Uh, no, I think you pretty much spelled out Thank all you. the cares. Indeed, we don't care about anything else. All right, <laughs> now that'll wrap it up for this week. Great show, Rashad. It's a hot time right now for the old mixed martial arts. No pay-per-view again until September, but uh, fun fights coming there. Uh, Rashad, anything we should be looking out for? Do you have any ESPN gigs coming up? You're selling um, I'm, I'm, I'll actually be uh, in a couple of weeks. I'll be out there for uh, ESPN. Do you know which card that is? Uh, was it 27th? Which what card is that? The 20th? Not this week, but the next week. What is that? Yeah, Anthony Smith. Yes, Anthony Smith. Yes, yes. Interesting card right there. Robbie Lawler, yeah. main event against Neil Magny. Don't hate that, Rashad. No, I do not. I just think Robbie the other day. Robbie looks good, man. Robbie looks really good. Do you think he's got one more, one more burst in him? I think, I think he does. Like he, you know, he's, um, you know, he's a very cerebral guy in a way that you really wouldn't expect. You know, he kind of stays to himself. But um, watching him from the outside looking in, you know, you seeing him starting to do the things that he was doing before when he was like red hot, and it looks like he's. Um, doing that but he's also adding some things you know because he's an older guy so he's adding some things and make it so that he's you know feeling stronger and, and not going into the fights all banged up do you still have that little guy as his uh right hand man the guy with the blonde hair who's what, what's that fellow's name yeah yeah he's, he still has that he's got the same crew he's got the same crew uh you know he's he, he's an old school guy he's an old school guy and it's just been amazing how he has been able to continue to reinvent himself to stay relevant yeah, he's one of my favorite interviews in that he's not a not a good interview even, but he's just so like real. Like he's just so like real. Oh, yeah. 
Like, yeah, I love it. I love it. I mean, right. he, he's old back in uh, Pat Militich, you know, Black Legion days back in the day. I mean, he's been, I mean, he's been with everyone. He's been with, you know, Strike Force. I think he did some Elite XC. I mean, he's been around a long-ass time. A yeah. Fighter. He'll take things from you. Because if I hurt him, I wasn't taking his neck. What were you going to take? His soul. Just he, you know, he delivered that like a like a man who should be behind bars. Oh. Yes, and you know what? I wasn't gonna stop talking about him until you delivered that soundbite. Now we can go. Now we can go. The show's over. That's <laughs> at Sugar Rashad Evans on the old uh, IG and Twitter at B Campbell CBS. Thank you for listening. Uh, until next time, Rashad is two words. We out. <laughs> <laughs>